0: My name is Kaylee Golden, and this is the Radio Silence podcast. On this podcast, I'll be sharing the stories of minority groups within the UK radio industry and asking ourselves, how can we do better? Throughout season two, we'll be focusing on the experiences of women in the industry. Over the past couple of months, we've been working with Women in Control to conduct original research that looks into the experiences of women in the UK radio industry. I'll be sharing more about the study as the season goes on, but you can also check out the whole report on our website, radiosilenceproductions.com. The link is also in the description to this podcast too. Now, my statistic for you this week is that 55% of women said that they feel less valued than their male colleagues in the workplace. Now, this is mad. Like over half of women, they just don't feel valued. And it's crazy because when you look into the report, and obviously we do share more like quotes from women, it feels like their voices are just like, meh, your idea is not good enough. But then if a guy says it, it's like, oh my God, that is the best idea ever. Let's run with it. And it's just not really fair, is it? Like, it's not fair. And the important thing about this whole research project is that it's one thing getting women into the building. It's another thing for them to feel safe and valued and like... Their work matters and like they matter. So that's why this podcast and this whole report is just so important. I sat down with Rebecca Frank to talk about this even more. The absolute queen that is Rebecca Frank is the content director for KISS FM. And you know KISS is one of the biggest stations under Bauer Media. So we spoke about her journey to landing an executive role in radio, all of the obstacles that she's overcome, the lessons that she's learned, and any advice that she has for other women looking to rise through the ranks. So get your notepad ready because she's dropped been all the hidden gems that you need. How does it feel then to wake up every day and think, okay, no, I'm actually the content director of KISS. That's mad. No day do I wake up and take that for granted.
1: I'll be honest with you, even on the day when it's like I've got loads of boring stuff to do and I've got, you know, just lots of day-to-day things, like I still feel so excited And I'm not just saying that because I'm on tape. This is a dream job. I grew up listening to this brand. And so to be in charge of it and to be trusted by my team and by my bosses and by the audience to a certain extent, even though they don't know who I am and that I
0: exist. um, No, it's awesome. Like, I just, I love my job, I have to say. So you said that you grew up listening to Kiss. Was that what inspired you to get into radio in the first place? How did you actually start working in the industry?
1: Wow, I mean, it's probably quite a disappointing answer because I've never really had a plan. I loved underground music growing up in London. Always listened to pirate radio. Always going with my mates to do sort of sets in sort of dodgy tower blocks and all the rest of it. So I always saw the power of radio to like reach loads of people, and it was you know an accessible platform that loads of people could could get to and just the kind of connection that you can have with people, the intimacy of it I was always into just from a sort of music tip. And then I worked in telly, I sort of left school and was a receptionist at a TV company and sort of blagged my way into doing some music writing on a sort of music TV channel. I was going to go to uni and I kept deferring and deferring. And then I um, saw an advert for the BBC was hiring for something called Network X at the time. And it was a black music station from the BBC, all part of uh, when DAB was launching in the UK and all these new stations were being set up. And I was really into drum and bass and garage and underground music and loved sort of radio from a listener point of view and had done a little bit of volunteering as well via a friend of a friend at Virgin Radio. Not my bag, but just to learn a little bit more about what went on behind the scenes. And I went for this job and, and... it was actually what then became One Extra a few months later. And it was to be part of, you know, being a broadcast assistant was the was the um, position that was being interviewed for on the drum and bass shows. Can you believe it? Imagine being sort of 20 years old. And I sat there and talked about, you know, B-sides and um, my favourite DJs and my passion to learn more about radio. And just it was brilliant because the BBC wanted to hire people with potential and passion and I had bags of both of those things, I think, at that time, rather than loads of craft and loads of experience. And so I got, a, I got a break and never looked back, really. So I never went to uni. I got the first for work and then obviously just the first for radio then grew
0: and I learned my craft properly. And then, yeah, the rest is sort of history, really. I love what you just said because it shows how important it is to actually give people a chance who have the passion and the drive to make good radio. So how important is it now for you being in a position of power to offer that same chance out to people?
1: It's so important because I think if I hadn't had that and, you know, I didn't have a degree in like media There wasn't community radio in those days. There weren't those opportunities to get a leg up. There wasn't SoundCloud and stuff where you could just sort of be doing podcasts like this. And sort of it just none of that was a thing. It was quite an elitist thing to be able to be in the media. So I feel very lucky and that the stars aligned for me in those early days. So I absolutely have carried on that sort of hiring on potential, attitude, work ethic, passion sort of piece throughout my whole career. You know, when I've been in these really lucky positions to be able to give people those breaks. You can teach people a lot of stuff, but you can't teach people a lot of those core
0: things that carry you through for the rest of your career. It's so important to have that passion because radio is one of those jobs that you have to absolutely love doing it if you want to progress. Now, you mentioned that you've worked in a bunch of different roles. Have you ever felt like you had to change your personality to fit into those different roles?
1: such a good question and one I've been reflecting on a lot recently actually I think just being in this job for a year and stuff it's just sort of caused me to reflect quite a lot and then with everything at the moment whether it's International Women's Day or horrific stories in the news around Sarah Everard or lots of things bringing these things into into focus I haven't felt the kind of need to change my personality but I have been conscious about a particular word actually that somebody said to me when I first became an exec which was Rebecca full of energy passion's there. You might want to think about employing a little bit of gravitas now. And I remember now thinking, reflecting on that, I really took objection to it instinctively. And I think now I can articulate why. Because I think the idea of gravitas in leadership is quite often coloured with this idea that we want you to look and behave like other people that we recognise in those positions quite serious, maybe sober, probably male, probably white, probably older. And there's me, a short ginger bird, you know, cracking a joke, but knowing when to be serious and knowing how to lead a team and, and get my head down, absolutely. But I thought, hang on a minute, I can't really change who I am because I've got here, all of my experiences that we just talked about, I've got there because of me, right? And so... How can I change who I am intrinsically? I can learn leadership behaviours. I can learn leadership techniques, of course. But does that have to be at the detriment of who I am? And I actually have come to this point of confidence, whether it's being nearly 40 or whether it's just being around the block a little bit, or maybe it's just having more discussions like this of going, what was inferred by that comment about, we think you need to have a little bit more gravitas was something that I wasn't down with. And I'm very happy to sort of be myself now and I come as I am. And... I've got the confidence that I can now be myself in my in my position because of the backing that I've had to be in a position like this. So, yes, a really interesting one. I do think about that quite a lot, that, of course, it's not that you're not going to be like exactly who you are with your mates on a Saturday night, you know, reminiscing to old jungle tunes necessarily when you're leading a team. But those kind of inferences of words like gravitas or... Or well, things can sometimes just sort of be red flags to me because it's kind of a, what, what do you mean by that? Because I can't be anyone else.
0: No, exactly. And when we were speaking before this recording, you mentioned something to me that I think relates to what you was just saying. There's this idea in radio that you rise through the ranks by just putting in loads of work in production. But really, leadership is not something that comes from time. It's an actual skill that some people naturally have, some people can develop. Do you think that outlook needs to change then?
1: Definitely. And I think this is where diversity is going to grow in organisations is that it's not a sitting there and waiting for an opportunity. It's not following a A B C ABC path to get to places like this. Most people that I know in positions of power, have had a bit of a zigzag situation. And it's about, sure, there's always stars aligning in anything. Did you see the job ad or did you pick up the phone that time or did you go to that event to make that connection? Of course, those things are always in life everywhere. But I really believe in, you know, this is about who are the best people to do the job and how far is the net cast to make sure that most people can put their hand up who who are sort of the right sorts of people rather than you've got to wait your turn. Because there are people that have only just got on the ladder and we're only just starting, aren't we, as a kind of whole society to kind of open up those first rungs for more people. So, you know, the whole kind of... I got promoted quite young into an exec position because I had belief in me, which was great. There were people who were sort of more experienced producers or had done bigger shows or had been around for longer that I sort of leapfrogged in that way. And I'm forever grateful that, you know, that then gave me the spirit to go, okay, it is possible. To sort of get there, it's not about just sitting there on the train and waiting to get there. It's, it's a skill. It's a leadership piece. It's somebody believing in your potential.
0: You spoke there about confidence, which I think is so, so important. Shout out to my confident crew. <laughs> but it's especially important in a leadership role. And in your current role, you've done so much and made amazing change. Like you're going in. Where did you build the confidence up to be the leader that you are? God, well, first of all, thanks for the encouragement.
1: Because <laughs> that is, do you know what? Where everybody needs that no matter who they are. So thank you for that. And it's it's actually things like that that give you the confidence. It's just little bits of feedback from no matter who it is which, is, which is wicked. I think there's a, a few things there. There's kind of like, there's a... There was a problem with Kiss to sort of solve, you know, we weren't growing our audience at at the time when I came on board. So I felt like I already sort of had permission to make some changes because it was quite clear that something needed to change. I do think that my sort of upbringing at One Extra and the people that I worked with there has a lot to do with the sort of spirit, though, in that we were starting something new. There was no blueprint There wasn't, okay, we were part of a massive organisation at the BBC, but there wasn't sort of somebody going, this is exactly how to do it. We had to all work it out ourselves and we had brilliant leaders who were pioneers. So I think I sort of learnt that spirit of like, well, if you want to make it happen, Rebecca, you've got to pick up the phone and speak to that person. It's not going to be, here's nine step processes that you've got to get to make that thing happen, just that spirit of like being a little bit sharp elbowed sometimes and then having support around me to maybe make a few mistakes or whatever along the way. I think I've just always realised, oh, that's how you get stuff done. It's kind of admitting that the buck stops with you or taking that responsibility and going for it. And look, I've got great people around me, top, bottom, left, right, everywhere at Bower who, like I said, said at the beginning, have trusted me to do this stuff. Some of it I might have got right, some of it maybe not, you know, and the proof proof will be in the pudding eventually. But yeah, I I think sort of a combination of kind of upbringing professionally in the jobs that I've done and then just having the right people around me to give me that space, you
0: know. It's so important to feel trusted and supported by the people that you're working with. And I think the more a workplace feels like a safe environment, diversity happens more naturally because everyone feels welcome totally and
1: it's mad it's sort of it's sort of fear actually that normally stops people from doing these things it's not that they don't know that or they can see rationally that that's the case i think sometimes you know sometimes in the in media culture there can just be this fear of different stuff and there can be a fear of but we've always done it like this and so and actually because things have changed so much with especially in audio you know with with streaming services with well, with Netflix, with gaming, with with Wi-Fi, right? It's like competitions from all sides. So we've got to switch up the tactics because the audience has switched it up and how they live and how they consume. So there's just no room for that fear anymore, actually. It's just about empowering people around you, which, yeah, is definitely the environment I feel I work in.
0: You know, I think there's this idea that you can only be supportive and can only be an ally if you're a manager or if you're in some form of position of power. But I think it's important that all men across the industry use their privilege to be an ally. How do you think that they can do this? It's a big question, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I think part of it is about listening, a massive part of it. And I'm sure you've thought about that yourself. And and that sounds like a really easy thing, but I think it's really actively listening. And by that, it's not just, passively listening and just listening to somebody talking, it's about not talking yourself for a minute. It's about putting down your own microphone if you're in a position of power or you're somebody whose sort of type of person in a male has been known to be in positions of leadership. And it's just kind of giving women the space because there is a lot of unconfidence, and I will generalise actually, amongst a lot of females that I come across in the industry you know, I notice it all of the time from who is it who comes to me to proactively ask for pay rises or for feedback? Who is it who proactively often comes to me and complains about something that they're absolutely fair enough to? It's usually the men because there seems to be an inherent sort of confidence in so many. And so my approach, you know, has to be very much about creating space for women or or younger people or different people who aren't seeing themselves people of colour, whatever, people that aren't seeing themselves as much, just creating a bit more space to give them a minute, quite frankly. But I think in terms of men, I think, you know, it's difficult to generalise because there are so many brilliant allies out there. But I think it is listening to women, sometimes just asking the question direct the good old elephant in the room technique of, hey, there's lots of conversation going on at the moment. And I think I'm all right. I think I respect women. I think I behave like that. I think I'm giving space to people. But do you think there's anything I could do? better or more and sometimes just giving people the space to answer that question might just yield something interesting just on a more acute point yeah I think I think listening and you know the good old-fashioned educating yourself and making sure that you're, you're you're following people on timelines and reading stuff talking to people maybe you've had a different experience to you it's refreshing though isn't it if you're asked somebody to sort of like gives you hey, have you got any feedback for me? How liberating is that? Because that's that person going, giving you permission to give me feedback so you can be honest, you know. Whereas if you don't ask the question enough in situations, you're not always going to get honesty or the truth. And that can lead to people burying feelings or not saying what's really up. So yeah, maybe that is a little bit of a way forward for some people. And, And We don't buy, you know, it's it's nice to be asked, isn't it? It's nice to be asked and to be given that space and you're going to be respectful back because they've asked that question. So
0: yeah, maybe that's something we can all take forward. You touched a little bit there on how women in the industry struggle with their confidence. How do women combat that victim mentality when they feel suppressed or undervalued? How do they overcome that? I do think there is something around sharing experiences between
1: us as women there is something about the power of networks and the power of it's not just me I'm not just the only person that feels like this that can be a bit of a strength in numbers vote of confidence so sort of even just like I'm not feeling very confident I'm not seeing anybody who looks like me up there but oh do you feel like that too oh right sometimes just that unlocking of it's not you it's the world it's the workplace and actually you shouldn't be expected to solve all of those problems on your own it's about everybody else clubbing in as well but you know the power of mentorship the power of looking up to the right people who you might not ever meet online the power of reading the right stuff to inspire you. You know, th- there is stuff that you can do, but I do think the power of sort of just sharing experience is kind of cliched as that might sound. I certainly have found that really helpful as a, as a sort of female leader to be connected to other female leaders. And actually I was on a panel recently with Lorna Clark and loads of amazing other women. And Lorna Clark, you know, a whole l- Lorna Clark, the director of BBC Radio going, oh yeah, I get imposter syndrome. I don't think it ever goes away. Everybody gets it in some. It's just how you deal with it, how you cope with it. That I found that really, really empowering because she's like one of the kind of strongest, most experienced women in the whole industry who I really, really look up to. So, you know, just that little kind of bit of sharing and empathy gave me like, oh, okay, we've all got it. It's fine then. I can, I
0: can deal with it a little bit better than I could five minutes ago, you know? Okay, so now you've got this massive job. You're the content director of Kiss. Do you still experience imposter syndrome even though you're in an executive role?
1: Big time. Are you kidding? Like the minute the day I don't, I think I'm worried because the day that I sort of take this for granted and trust me, I I feel I deserve this job. I've worked hard. I feel like you know I'm not messing up too much so far. I feel like confident within myself at the grown age that I am and, and with all the trust that people put in around me. But Yeah, of course. I mean, I was sat on that panel, like I say, with Lorna Clark, with the head of Ofcom, who had a whole dame in front of her name, and amazing people that I really respect. And I had a a sense of like, am I, am I here to sort of, you know, plug in the mic? Am I here to what am I, what am I doing here? Just for a sort of split second. And I think that's okay. I think it's just part of life. And I think it's part of appreciating where you've got to actually. I think there's a benign side to it. I think it's just making sure it doesn't consume you that you actually get your head down and just do the job, do the job that's in front of you rather than always dealing with the, oh my God, I'm the content director of KISS. It's like, actually, what have I got to do today? What do I want to do tomorrow? Who do I want to connect with? What do I really want to get done? And focusing on that and then occasionally going, oh my God, what a great job, you know? And that's, that's okay. I think it's sort of humility. I always want to sort of keep that because the minute you're like, yeah, yeah, I've got this, probably take your eye off the ball.
0: Yeah, it's so important to keep that confidence because it helps you grow and apply for new and bigger roles. And I wanted to ask you, how important do you think it is to push yourself to apply for those bigger roles that you just might be a bit scared that you won't even get it? What's the worst that can happen? Honestly, that's, that's
1: how I feel about it. What is the worst that could happen? that there's a rejection, okay, you're not doing this every day. So it's not like I'm sort of, it's not, you know, death by a thousand cuts and I'm sat there getting rejection and feedback that puts me down every day. Sometimes it's just about going for it and enjoying the process and actually the process of going for a job like that or for anybody in community radio or wanting to get into radio, just going for something actually you know what's the worst that can happen if it doesn't work out not much you're going to gain some kind of skill and some kind of experience in the research you're going to do to get there or listening to that output more or you're going to benefit 100% in some way by going for it there's no benefit to not going for it at all so what's what's the worst that can happen and enjoy the process to try and get something out of the process so that it's not all lost if you don't get there
0: So, what advice would you give to women who want to get into radio management?
1: I hear very few women explicitly saying that to me actually. And I don't know if I ever did that. So it's a really interesting question. I think there's certainly something about magpieing skills, experiences, ways of people that you admire and kind of going, what is it about Lorna Clark or previously Helen Bowden or Dee Ford or whoever it is that you're seeing up there or or somebody at a lower level, you know, if you're if you're kind of at the beginning or whatever, what is it that I like about them? Is it because they seem really honest? Is it they're just really good at a particular sort of hard skill? Is it their attitude? Is it the way they talk? And it's just kind of like banking those things. And you're never going to be that person, right? Like I was saying before, you're always going to be you. But what are some of those things you can take from other people around you that might not even be in the industry, might be in a totally different industry, and you think, I like the way that they carry themselves, or. I like the way that they run that thing. Tons of books now, aren't there? And, and about sort of people's stories. There's loads of people that share a lot on social media about their journey and their philosophy. And it's taking all of that in and magpieing little bits for yourself and working out what it is. But, you know, I think there is also that sort of sense of initiative is definitely a massive part of, of being a leader. So embody that. It doesn't matter if you're on a two-week work experience placement, show initiative, you know, after that first week, are you going to send the person that's kind of managing you a bit of a kind of, here are my first week thoughts? Now, they haven't asked for that, but you're showing leadership because you're getting your stuff together yourself. Maybe it's gathering, if you're a producer, for example, are you gathering other producers together to go, hey, why don't we get together and come up with an idea and pitch it to Rebecca? Like, we're so easily pleased. Like, that would just I love it when my producers get together and it just shows people that initiate these things. It shows leadership qualities. Leadership qualities are everywhere. They're not about rank. They're about a state of mind. And I think initiatives are a massive part of that. So you just encourage people to not think they have to suddenly wear shoulder pads and do you know what I mean? Dye their hair grey and whatever. It's just, this is about like just having a bit of, having a bit of spark and, and and embodying and following a sort of vision that you've got, even if it's on a really, really small scale, because it all, it all adds up. It's all leadership qualities. That is such great advice. Yeah, because people wait to be asked. And I suppose that's the thing, when you're a leader, leader, like nobody's really sat there like, Every week, asking me to do a particular task. I've got a macro target, and obviously, I've got a north star that my boss lays down for me, and I've got particular targets around things like commercial. You know, there's all of those sorts of things. But actually, I've got to set my own staff. I've got to set my own timelines and my own goals to a certain extent. They're signed off, you know, to a certain extent. But and that that then feeds down to my team. But yeah, I think just. Grabbing a hold of stuff and not waiting for somebody to ask you to do something is a great sign. And I just love that. And that's why I'm kind of higher on that kind of attitude from every level at a place like Kiss.
0: It is so important to see women in positions of power so that you're able to feel represented and take skills from them that you admire. Why else do you think it's important for women to see themselves in those roles? It's just
1: so important because we all, whether we sort of say this out loud or not, everybody visualises themselves in a role and everybody visualises them. And that's what, if they can't visualise themselves or if they visualise themselves and they're feeling unconfident, they don't go for it or they don't do their best. When you can visualise yourself and picture yourself doing something and it feels all right, you're going to do a better job and you're going to go for it. So it's really important to kind of widen the base of talent that we have coming up the ranks in media organisations. And like I said, there's there's no sort of silver bullet to this. It really is just people have just got to crack on and get on with this. Like there's just no sort of like everybody needs to go on a course. or, Nah, man, people just need to get on with it. The population is representative and is diverse. And so how can we be media organisations and not represent all of the voices, all of the faces, all of the people that are out there? Like it's, it's, it's just a madness. We know that it makes economic sense and business sense when you have more diverse boards. And this is an ever more diverse population every single year. It's more and more. You know, there's a census at the moment, isn't there? I'm sure that's going to give us some amazing stuff. But we know, don't we? We know that we've got a more diverse kind of younger generation than ever before. And so we need to make sure that we're already in business for that. And we're starting like yesterday. Oh, just get on with it. And just and, and just honestly think. Why am I not doing this? Why am I not giving that? If I've got two people who could get a job, why am I not giving it to that person over that person when I know that the halo effect of giving that person a job could be so huge for so many more important reasons? It's just really interesting. Unconscious bias is obviously just a massive topic that I'm sure we could do an entire podcast series on. But I think I think. There are courses that I think are good that a lot of leaders and managers can do in organisations. And when I say courses, it sounds kind of erudite, but really, that's just about an awakening. Sometimes a course or a meeting or a session around something like that can just be drawing people's attention to their own brains and how their brains think. And sometimes that awareness, a bit like sharing stories with people, can be a bit of a, a light bulb moment. The effect of things like that can just be huge. So... You know, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that in big organisations now, just a bit of an awakening and, and a consciousness
0: around things like unconscious bias. But yeah, people just need to crack on. Unlearning unconscious bias is so important to creating a safe and supportive workplace. I completely agree. And on that point, I wanted to ask, are there any challenges that you face in your career that you think, oh, I may not have actually faced those if I wasn't a woman? Yeah, I've... I- I'm not sure I've got a big
1: sort of list here because I've been fortunate to have very supportive men and women around me in my career at most stages. I do think that back to that sort of appearance in a meeting, for example, when I didn't really sort of feel my gender, as it were, until I was in management, actually, because so many females are in production, actually, across the sort of audio industry quite often, but less in those positions of power, like we were saying. And sometimes it is that thing of, you know, if you're an energetic sort of young, and I'll say it short as well, right? Like, there's all the physicality is all part of this mad thing, isn't it? Perception thing. Sometimes it is just like I'm not walking into a room and immediately kind of dominating because I'm not this kind of mass. It's just quite a carnal thing to it, isn't there? Like I'm not a giant. Great. But sometimes feeling like maybe I've got to say something a bit cleverer than someone else to sort of dispel their perception of me as somebody who might come up with something a bit silly because I was a bit younger at the time or I came in through sort of underground music. I didn't sit there listening to the Radio 1 chart show, you know, under a duvet growing up. That wasn't me, nah. I was not about that. And so you look around and go, gosh, you know, there's all kinds of reasons why you can feel like, do I belong here? And I've d- I definitely had those moments, perhaps partly to do with being a woman, but I think also just to do with kind of where my sort of root in wasn't, traditional sort of thing. I didn't do student radio or anything like that. You know, and I've had a baby, I had a baby as well in my late 20s, and I thought the world was going to end and my career was going to be over, even though, you know, I was absolutely delighted and planned my baby. But actually what happens is, you know, you press pause and everything just presses pause and you come back and it's all the same stuff. And actually you've just got a bit of life experience under your belt. Like that's all really for me. Those are the only times I've really felt my sort of gender, I suppose, being a thing. But I haven't particularly felt held back personally. And I'm I'm grateful for that. And I think that's just been... I've just been really lucky to be to work with sort of people that have been quite awake and in organisations that have been supportive. So, so yeah.
0: I want to talk to you a little bit about your comment in being in those meetings and feeling like you have to say something clever. Do you think women should have to mould themselves to make their presence known?
1: I don't think that women should have to feel that they have to play to somebody else's insecurity or somebody else's detriment of seeing them equally. There's a kind of like, why should women have to prove themselves or anybody who's a minority of anything in a room have to overcompensate in order to make other people feel comfortable? If you've got something to say and it's appropriate, then say it. It's like getting your head down and doing the job. Absolutely. You can get into a spiral, which I think leads to paralysis quite a lot. And that's back to that unconfidence thing where it's like, should I be doing this? Should, 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 should. The word should is just awful, isn't it? It's sort of like, I'm in a meeting. Do I have something to say that I feel I can contribute to? Great. If I don't, if they look down on me and think lesser of me for not doing that, that is their problem and their perception issue and not mine. I'm not going to overcompensate in this situation to make them feel okay or to prove myself for what, you know. And it's too long time to get there. Trust me, it wasn't sort of age 21. There I was sort of feeling like that. But it's often other people's weaknesses and insecurities that lead to other people, namely minorities in situations, feeling they have to overcompensate. It's just absolutely not the case. and, And let's not feed that beast, you know.
0: Exactly. And I remember when I first started working in bigger stations, and I'd be so quiet, like me, quiet. (laughs) That's not me at all. But I used to think that I didn't belong there. So I just didn't speak. I went completely on mute. I mean, I think that's, you know, that
1: will happen to me in a meeting next week, because it'll be in a, you know, I think that's, I think that's okay as well. It's like, let's not beat ourselves up too much about those situations. Because sometimes situations are intimidating because, we love the brand, or we're not sure actually about what the meeting. Do I have anything to say? And you know that that's the sort of experience thing, or being are you in the right meeting, or you know, or is it the right environment? So I think that I think that's okay, and that sort of that sort of happens. That's that's all right. I think it's just that that piece around letting those situ- not letting those situations paralyze your own progress. If it's actually at the fault of the construct of that meeting or that scenario in itself you know, and perhaps there were cultural sort of issues there for you. Perhaps it was because you were new and you actually did need to kind of listen a little bit before you contributed. Perhaps you were intimidated because you just absolutely loved being there and you were a bit gassed up on that and needed to go get over that hurdle before, you know, all of that is normal stuff, man. Like, that's just normal stuff. But I think, yeah, I think women on the whole do suffer from confidence issues. And a large part of it is because we don't see enough of ourselves in positions of power, it's that simple. And the more that we can see ourselves and hit different paths of people that have got there, that it's not, oh, well, I didn't go to uni, I didn't do this, so it's all hopeless, so I'm now just going to go and sit in a box. It's like the more that actually people just share these stories, everyone's got mad stories about how they got into the industry. Like like I said before, so few people have had this ABC route in, and that's empowering, isn't it? It's sort of like, well,
0: anyone can do it, do you know what I mean? It's weird because in radio... People always want to know your journey and the things that got you to where you are. But it's not always the awards you won or the people you met. It's what you've done with those opportunities that matter. That is so wise. And I'm going to be stealing that from
1: you. <laughs> um, Take it. And... No, please. I mean, God, I'll always learn so much from you whenever I talk to you, Kaylee. I think that is so wise is it's about the how. And I think that's why it's just I really want people to sort of take encouragement that, yeah, we're not no one sort of sat there looking at CVs and, and marking people down. Actually, some of the most amazing people that I've had the privilege of working with or given opportunities to are just people that maybe haven't had that much ABC experience but have gone, well, no one listened to this, but I made this thing myself. You know, I've got six people listen to this, but I made it myself. And this is my thought process. And I kind of thought, well, I like it, so I'm going to give it a go. You know, how you do it, that's such a great way of articulating it. And that's how we're going to break the chain of the same sorts of people getting into the same sorts of positions, which I can feel so much energy over the past sort of, you know, long time actually, that this has been a, a slow change, but it's definitely a change. I mean, look at the fact that there is such an equal barrier to entry now in terms of just just soundcloud mixcloud microphones on mobile phones all of that existing that stage one community radio student radio you know we all want to be in big organizations we all want more work experience more internships like trust me that like, we all want so many you know but things have got to be done properly as well you don't want to have so much you can't handle things properly i'm going to take that away from this podcast it is it is take how it. you it is <laughs> it is it's how you do it not what and hopefully that's empowering for people sat there going, well, I can't afford uni or I don't know anybody at community radio or that isn't that in my area or I don't have a computer. So I can't make a podcast, Rebecca, or whatever. It's like there's so many different ways that you can make and do now. Just try and make, make a beginning if you really want to. Just make a beginning.
0: Now, I want to talk to you about what it was like to have children while working. You mentioned that you were in your late 20s and then you planned your pregnancy. Did you feel pressure to plan it because of your career?
1: Um, not really, I have to say. I think like at the BBC, there were quite a few sort of female producers in other networks. I was at, you know, Radio 1, when actually there weren't that many um, women who had had children, just largely because it was a sort of younger workforce, to be honest. But a lot of women... We did have children, did come back and do part time. And I didn't really want to do that, not because I didn't love my baby and I didn't want to spend loads of time with her. I took a full year off and that was dope. I just really liked working. <laughs> and I had a, a, you know, a supportive husband. And we knew we sort of only wanted to have one. And I don't mind sharing that, all of that stuff. That was all sort of like a conscious piece. We We love our little pod of three, you know, all of that just works for us. And uh, no, I didn't didn't feel pressure. I did have the fear and the paranoia that I think a lot of women have, especially in that sort of month before the girl maternity leave of like, oh my God, like I'm just going to be rubbish when I get back or someone else is great, he's taking my job and you're doing a handover with someone that's covering for you and you're like, oh my God. But that's all natural, that's all normal. Like, actually, you come out the other side and like like I say, you realise everything just paused for a year, you come back and it's exactly as you left it sort of thing. And actually, if anything, I just had a way better discipline about my working hours. I had a different motivation in life. I felt like I just had another like life experience under my belt, which is cool. Yeah, I had, I had a great, great experience when it came to work. But yeah, definitely, it's completely normal to feel pressure and to feel that kind of paranoia I mean, some people feel like that when they go on bloody holiday. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I think
0: I think I had a good I had a good
1: experience.
0: So you're obviously speaking from a producer perspective, but what about presenters? Do you think that it's hard for them to plan having children? Are their jobs more at risk?
1: I know what you mean, and actually, choosing to be a presenter is quite the choice, isn't it? You're choosing you, your face, your voice, your heart, your soul is your job, especially in radio. There's tiny bit of tissue paper between your real life and your on mic life because we all want we're all people like me going bring yourself to the mic we want to hear all about your stories you know it's exhausting isn't it but yeah I think I think it's absolutely feel good about it because everybody else is doing it in the real world the more you can connect with your audiences and normal people as it were the better presenter you're going to be. You know, I worked at Radio One at a time when Fern Cotton, Annie Mack, like tons of female presenters went and had babies and came back and still absolutely smashed it and is smashing it today. You know, multiple could Sarah Cox, Zoe Ball, you know, you know, you name it. Like so many people, again, when you see more people doing it around you, you realise it's all going to be okay. There's undoubtedly pressure on presenters because they're largely, you know, freelancers. And if you're not working, you're not working and there's no money, you know, all of that. But I think it's just, you know, I I don't have any acute advice there because these are absolutely life choices that people have to make on a really personal level and it depends on their circumstances. But I would say, you know, absolutely encourage people to live their lives because that's what we're asking you guys to do as presenters all the time on the mic. So if all you do is radio, you don't ever live any of your life and so people should live their lives because you know it's funny isn't it when you're younger a year seems like such a long time and it's not it's only a year it's only six months it's whatever you want to do and that self-assuredness making your own life choices is the same as having initiative in the workplace it's, it's, a, it's a show of strength and that you know what you want and that you're going to live your life like I think that's very very attractive personally
0: A huge thank you to Rebecca Frank for sharing all of her wisdom and advice. There is so much that I'm going to take away from that conversation and I hope that it inspired you too. If you enjoyed this episode, then make sure you subscribe to Radio Silence wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Radio Silence Pod, so feel free to get in touch and let us know what you think. You can also check out our newest research on our website at Radio Silence Production radio silence is presented by myself kaylee golden produced by palama kaufman and edited by ellen mcleod and billy hambidge and is engineered and scored by eric brea we'll be back in two weeks time with more important stories to share thanks for listening